1: Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I am your host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. Mo and I had hiked back to the woods where the broken-down house lay, where that tree elf lived, remember? My daughter had left for school, and there was a low mist everywhere. In the woods, squirrels and chipmunks squarred about, with their cheeks so full it looked as if they had had a bad Botox job done. Blue jays squawked at us. You could hear the other birds take off in flight as we came through. And high above, the sound of geese heading south were heard. When we arrived at the house, it was decorated with fallen leaves, both inside and outside, giving off a perfect 1970s vibe with the yellows, oranges, and browns. If it were nighttime and misty with a bright moon, it might have been spooky. But this was morning with the rising sun and the rising warm air burning off the mist. It still appealed to my younger self. Somewhere to play, somewhere to let the imagination go wild. I peeked in the hole where the tree elf lived and called out. Quietly and gently, I didn't want to break his eardrums, but there was no response. I waited in case it was going to surprise me by suddenly jumping out and shouting, Hello! Maybe, like the geese and the other migrating birds, like the butterflies and other creatures who head south for the winter, this little mannequin, had packed its bags and also headed south. Mo chased chippies, and squizzles called out. I wasn't sure if they were cheering Mo on, as the chipmunks were competing for food with the squirrels, or if the squirrels were cheering on the chipmunks because Mo was a dog. I walked past the house and towards the lake, well pond. Leaves dropped, sounding like heavy, falling rain. I haven't walked around this place much before, It is a pond the size of a lake, it's not deep. You can canoe on it and kayak on the waters, but I doubt that anything else much bigger would make it very far. As I walked around the edge of the lake, I came to a stream. As it was quite wide and not wanting to risk jumping across and falling, I followed the stream back up into the woods. Light was making the leaves bright from below, but then it began to get darker the leaves lost their luster. Clouds began to cover the sky, blocking out the light. It began to cool, and the mist began to rise again, which didn't seem right. I whistled for Mo to come, and she came galloping along. The early fog had left spiderwebs covered in dew. Even though the light was getting less, they still glistened and shone. Off to one side, about 100, 200 feet away, there was a pond smaller pond maybe in drier years it might not have been full but this year being so wet I had found many pools and forest ponds filled year-round with water when I knew some always had gone dry by May and here we were in October the pond was covered with leaves and lay still stagnant Admittedly, it could have been the flat ground where a house once stood, or a barn or outbuilding of some kind, but the flat space had no trees, and it was irregular in shape, there were no straight lines. I could also tell it was a pond, because in a couple of places the leaves did not cover the surface, and the water glistened dangerously. Mo would find out another way. Who is our first storyteller today? Any guesses? Who would you like to hear today? Our first storyteller, Catherine Fairley, sadly passed away in October of last year, 2020. She is surely missed, she is absolutely missed by her fans and family and the community of storytellers she built around her. She was a wonderful human being. We are lucky enough to have her words still recorded in stories. Her voice is so gentle, her tales can lull you. So settle down, relax, and listen as she tells us
0: Hexed. Now, do you know what a hexer is? Now, some people don't, but it's somebody who knows things, somebody who can cast a spell on you. And it's somebody that maybe I'd be just a little polite and careful around, I think. Anyhow, my cousin Tommy Thompson told us this one, and this is what happened to him when he was a boy. And he even learned, from the where he learned this chant. And I say it in this story, but just so you know that you won't be in trouble here, I have my fingers crossed so it's okay. Shooly, 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 papa chew Shooly, papa zigzag tilly till he come a-woo. Now, don't ever say that without your fingers crossed or you'll get in trouble. Now, my cousin used to tell us that this all happened when he and his family moved to Louisiana. His papa and his mama, his older brother Hamp, and Cliff, their cousin, all moved along with him and they bought some ranch land on side the swamp. And they were going to make a ranch there and they had hired old John who had lived all his life near that swamp to help him clear the land while they all built the house and they were living in tents meanwhile. Now old John, he was a fellow who knew things. He knew everything there was to know about that swamp and there's nothing more exciting to an eight-year-old than a swamp. He used to tell us about The swamp mare, this white horse that these mean boys tied a chain to his tail and chased it into the swamp. The only thing is, the boys never came back. And anybody who's ever been in that swamp ever since that at nighttime, they tend to hear chains being rattled. Now, nobody who's ever seen the horse lived to tell about it, except old John. And he said, You see that horse, it's got smoke all around it, and it's got sparks coming out of its eyes and flames coming out of its nostrils when it chases you, and then you're a gunner for sure. Now, he was sitting with us at night, and we were cutting the potatoes into seed eyes in the tent there. And he was telling us all about hexing. Well, we just thought it was fascinating. And he told us exactly how it was done. Well, we believed everything he said. As a matter of fact, we were cutting those seed eyes, and he stopped, and he went out of the tent, looked up at the moon, said, Can't plant them taters tomorrow. The moon's not right. Taters will rot, sure. Well, we believed him. We believed everything he said except for Cliff. Cliff didn't believe a word he said. Called it stuff and nonsense. Next morning, Hamp and I were talking about hexing, and Cliff was just laughing, and he was so annoyed that we believed what he said. He said, I'll tell you what, I think it's so phooey that I'm going to let you guys hex me. Well, I didn't want to have anything to do with it, but they made me swear to secrecy, and they took me with them, and we all went into the swamp. Now, the swamp is usually not a scary place when you go into it in the daytime, and we used to swing on the, the vines and like that, and we had a good time. But, but this particular day, it was a little annoying. The mosquitoes were all over the place, and they were really getting me down. And, and all those vines we used to play on, well, they just looked like snakes, jungle snakes, reaching out for you. And the deeper we went into that swamp, the more gnarly and mean-looking those trees were, till we'd gone beyond where I'd ever gone before. And the ground fog was beginning to creep up our pant legs. Now, Cliff wanted to do this so bad he actually picked out the tree. It was a big old slick barked alder. And now we started thinking about it. Putting a hex on somebody seemed to be so simple it couldn't possibly work. All you had to do was carve the face of somebody into the tree. And it didn't have to look like him. you just had to name who it was. And then you took a ten penny nail and you put it right between the eyes and you pounded it in with the chant. Shooly, 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 papa, chew, papa, zigzag zag, tilly, come a roo, and on that roo you had to womp the nail really hard just once. Now you did that every day, and you did the chant with it, and you womped it only once, and when the nail was all the way in, the person you were hexing was dead. Well, Hamp gave Cliff a chance to back out, but he didn't want to, so Hamp started carving the face, and he wasn't do it fast enough to suit Cliff. So Cliff got mad, and he took the knife and he started carving the face himself. And finally, he had to hand it back to Cliff, and he said, "Now, now, you got to finish it. You got to start the nail here, because, and you got to do the chant, because of course you can't hex yourself." So he did, and he said, "Shuley, shuley, shuley, papa choo, papa zigzag, tilly come a-roo. one big wump on that nail." Cliff was laughing his head off, and he was laughing all the way home. But my brother pretty quiet as he went home, and I felt like there were about a dozen spiders crawling up my back. Now, they swore me to secrecy, and they said they'd kill me if I told John especially, and I reckon they would have. I didn't always go back with them, but every single day after that, they would go in, and they'd pound that nail one more time with a shooly, 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 papa, choo. shooly, papa, zigzag, till come a Now, sometimes I went with him, and sometimes I didn't. But on the fifth day, Cliff began to get sick. And my brother and I looked at each other, and we knew that we had to get out there right away and take that nail out and stop the hex. Only trouble was that we had our chores to do and we had Cliff's chores to do, and it was one of those days where Papa thought of everything under the sun extra for us to do, and we thought we'd never get out there. We finally went running out there when we had the chance, and it was nearly dark. And we were running so hard that our bellies ached by the time we got there. And I was looking up at that tree and, oh, it looked like the tree was just leaning down with all its branches just kind of reach out at us. And that ground fog was reaching out with its wet fingers trying to get us. Oh, hemp was shaking so hard he couldn't even really manage the rock really well. He was trying to hit it this way and hit it that way and move that nail around. And he just wasn't getting anywhere with it. Matter of fact, I thought he was pounding it even further in. Finally, he gave it one last whomp at it moved it over to the side, and it kind of flattened it into the tree so there was nothing more he could do. And just about then, I heard chains rattling. And I let out on a run. And I looked behind me, and there was hemp running after me. And we ran all the way back home. And we were just panting and red faced when we got there. Mom says, what you boys been doing? Um, playing. Well, don't play so hard. Well, we didn't hear anything she said because we were so anxious to see what Cliff looked like. Then we went in to see him. I was kind of sorry we did. He looked terrible. His face was all swollen up and he was red. His eyes were glazed and he didn't even know who we were. Mom had made him some soup special, but he was so sick he couldn't even swallow that. Well, I can tell you we did not sleep well that night. Finally, when I dozed off, my brother woke me up. He had a dark lantern in his hand and he had a claw hammer with him. He says, come on, get up. We got to get out there and get that nail out. I'm scared. I know you're scared. I'm scared too, but we got to. Come on, get your clothes on. So we went out there and we didn't dare light the lantern because we didn't want anybody to see us. So we started going out there. Oh, it was terrible. It was so spooky. We couldn't see a thing. And there were frogs just yelling and croaking all the while and we were trying to get along and trying to get along, and of course we lost the trail. We finally had to light the lantern, and that made it even worse, because there were black shadows jumping every which way at us, and we were going along, and it seemed like every bush was just yanking at my clothes. We finally got there, and Hamp had me hold the lantern up, and I looked at that tree, in the lantern light, oh, it looked like something, like a skull. It didn't look like Cliff at all. It was a skull. And the sap had begun to run. It looked like black blood running down the side of that tree. I had to hold the lantern, and Hamp started working with the hammer. And he wasn't getting anywhere. His hands were shaking. He didn't like being out there any more than I did. And all of a sudden, the frogs stopped. And it was deathly quiet. And all of a sudden, in the silence, we heard footsteps. And then, what are you boys doing out here? And John stepped into the pool of light. I had never seen my brother talk so fast in my life. He explained what we were doing and what was going on there. And then he stepped back, and old John took a look at that carving. He said, oh, you boys got yourself in a peck of trouble here. I can see you need my help. Well, give me that hammer. And he took the hammer, and he started looking at that tree, and he didn't even look at us. He said, I can see I got a lot of consorting to do with haints and witches and things tonight. I might even have to get me some white hairs from the tail of that ghost mare. Well, you boys better get back now. Don't tell nobody what we're up to. your room. what I'm fixin' to do here. You get on home now. Well, he didn't have to tell us twice. We ran. We ran so fast. I funny dove in to the covers there with all my clothes on, and Hemp did the same thing, and home never felt so good. Next day, we woke up, and we were afraid to go down to breakfast. When we finally did, there was Cliff. He didn't look very good. But he was sitting up, and he was trying to eat two fried eggs, which was a little difficult because he was still wobbly, but there was no doubt about it. Cliff was better. Finally, my papa came in, and he said, Oh, Cliff, you got mumps. Worst case I ever saw, both jaws. Hamp and me looked at each other. Mumps? We could hardly wait till we found John. Papa says that Cliff's only got the mumps. Old John glared at me. Of course he does. I tried to change that hex into measles, but you'd gouge that nail over into his jowls. It's no wonder he's got the mumps. I was up there all night trying to break that hex, but you done it good, and I had to use those hairs from the tail of the ghost mare, and he showed us those hairs right there, and he, he walked over with us outside, and we put them in the horse trough, and he said... You wait a couple of days, they'll turn into water snakes. And you know they did, a couple of weeks later. We had water snakes in the tank. I don't know where they came from. Well, that night, John came in with a big old brew. Nasty-smelling green stuff he'd made from all his herb medicines, and he made us drink it all. He said, I don't know if this going to help, boys, because of the parts you had in the hickson, but maybe it'll stop you from getting the mumps. Well, we drank it up, and I guess it helped some, because we only got the mumps on one side. But I can tell you one thing, Old Cliff, he never laughed at Hexen again. Surely, 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 papa, shoo.
1: <laughs> there was an old woman who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Well, that's what the news said. But it was all for the sake of a good story, because she's alive, well and happy and healthy. How do I know? Well, she started her own business. It's called Swallow-A-Fly Nutritional Services. Well, after eating the cow and nearly, mind you, not for reals is, exploding, she decided to look at her own nutrition, and well, she has changed. Using the apocryphy she discovered and the experience she gained from others such as Little Miss Muffet and Baba Yaga, she now offers a full-service nutritional bar. Shakes, juices, smoothies, snacks, she has it all. Whatever you feel you might lack will swallow a fly, has a stack. Give them a call and see what they can do for you now. Did you know that all the patrons of the podcast have special fairy tale talents? And you can too. Would you like a unique fairy tale ability? Then become a patron, and you'll be a patron for the arts. All for as little as $4 a month. By golly, that's good value! Patrons receive an extra story each week, get to peek behind the scenes, kind of like behind the curtains, eh? Postcards from the podcast throughout the year, and chances to chat with Rachel Ann Harding live. Anyway, your generous support allows this podcast to reach bigger audiences and grow. A big thank you to all you patrons who do make this podcast possible. To join the story supporters, go to storystorypodcast.com for more information. And if you want to hear us make up fairy tale facts about you and thank you for an episode, then become a supporter now. Go on. Go ahead. I dare you. It grew darker still. The clouds, which I couldn't see through the autumn leaves, must be really heavy, but it didn't feel like rain was coming. I have to tell you something quickly. Mo is sometimes a little cat-like. When she was a pup, we discovered a couple of things. The first was that we could use a laser tag, a laser spot, to bring her back if she ran off. She loves laser dots. When it's too cold to take her out for a walk in the winter, we use the laser tag to make her run about the house to get exercise. She'd do that with me. The other thing is, she doesn't like getting into water, but I'll come to that in a moment. Not too far from me, I saw a will of the wisp in the woods. If you don't know what one of those is, it's a light, a sort of flame that pops up in certain places and vanishes, and then it pops up somewhere else. Little flames, little lights. Well, for the second time ever, I saw one. The last time was in Scotland, but here I was, now living in New Hampshire, in America, and one pops off not too far away from me, and then another. As it was getting darker, I could see them more clearly. I watched these will-o'-the-wisps pop up and vanish, and then I saw that Mo had noticed them. I smiled as she jumped towards one, and then ran to another, and then I saw a path these little lights were creating, and it was right towards the leaf-covered pond. When we first got Mo, I took her out for the first time in the woods off-leash. It was winter. Streams and ponds were frozen over. Moe saw a bird sitting on the ice and took off after it. I called her back, but as a little pup, She wasn't listening, and went through the ice as the bird took to the sky, no doubt chuckling to itself. Mo was plunged into freezing water, and was scared witless. I grabbed a stick and started smacking at the ice to break a path for her, so that she could turn around and swim back in, but this frightened her away from me. She's a rescue dog, and there are all sorts of issues that some of these dogs have. She was swimming further from me still, so I ended up jumping through the ice myself and grabbing her to pull her back in. It was only about waist deep. Since then, she's hated getting into water other than ankle-deep streams to drink. I wonder if she knew the leaves covered a large body of water, and as the speed of the popping lights led her faster and faster to the pool, I called out, Mo, stop, come here, close. Close means she has to be close beside me. Another will-o'-the-wisp popped in the middle of the pond, and she ran straight into the water and sank beneath the leaves. I ran to the edge and called for her until her head popped up. She looked upset and scared. I called to her and clapped my hands, encouraging her to come to shore. It must have been deep, as I could see that she was paddling and not walking. She looked so forlorn, the poor girl. I rubbed her face when she got on shore and gave her one of her treats that I carry with me. At least it's not freezing water this time, you silly goose, I said. She shook herself hard and I ended up getting a good soaking myself. I scratched her head as she gobbled down the kibble and then she headed towards the path we had followed to get there. Then she stopped and turned and looked at me. It was as if she was telling me, "'Time to go home. "'If you think we are going any further on the trail, "'you are clearly bonkers.' Mo then started down the path, so I followed her back to the car. She often calls me bonkers. I think my daughter taught her that word, but then again I did teach that word to my daughter, so what goes around comes around, as they say. Mo had a quick shower from the hose when we got home before going into the house, and she got another treat inside.' She then spent the rest of the day sleeping on the couch, every once in a while, staring at me when I passed, with a look that said, ''You should have called me back.'' But I did, know I did. Richard Martin. Well, I told you about Richard Martin before, do you remember where he comes from originally? That's right, England, but where does he now live? You must be really paying attention right again. Germany. Well, I hope you enjoyed the last story he told. Do you remember the name of that? Because we have another one of Richard's tellings for you. Today, he is going to share with us his retelling of The Shipwright and the Witches. Whoa! <laughs> story about mathematics. Uh, well, at
2: least about geometry. Because long, long ago, really long ago, in England, there was a man who built ships. In those days, we'd call him a shipwright. He'd go out into the forest where he lived, and he'd look at all those great oak trees. You know, oak, the hardest wood of all that grows in England. And he would be able to look at the angles which the oak branches grew in and he would know, ah, that is the angle for this part of the ship. So you didn't have to join wood together. If you had it like that, it made it stronger in those wild waves. Well, being such a good shipwright, being the best shipwright in England, of course, the King said, build me a ship. Now that was wonderful, but it was also dangerous because you know what kings are like. And if you didn't get it quite right, or if you were a little bit late, you know, you might be hanged uh, by the neck. And so it was in those days. You didn't have Amnesty International to protect people in prison, you see. (laughs) Well, he had this job from the king. And he'd gone out into the forest. He'd looked at got his timber, got the angles just right. All except that one last piece that he needed, and it's a very important piece in a wooden ship, it's called the knee. And it's the great piece of wood where the main mast comes down and sits on that uh, angled piece of wood. And do you know, this poor shipwright, he could not find a tree where there was a a branch growing with the angle which he needed. Okay, he was looking and looking and looking and uh, everything was waiting, all the timbers in the shipyard, a lot of the ship had already been built, but the knee was missing and he knew the king was counting the days and in the end he said, right, today I've got to get it. And he took his axe, he took his saw, and he went out with his template, the exact angle which he needed, into the forest swearing he would not come back until he'd got that knee. And he walked and he walked and he walked and he looked and he looked and he looked and he measured and he measured and he measured. Uh, But you know, mathematics is not quite so easy to get things quite uh, as they should be. And so it was for the poor shipwrighty. Couldn't find one at all. And in a story like that, you know the day comes to an end and he was far from home and nowhere to sleep, but he'd sworn he'd only leave the forest. When? I don't know. When he was walking in the dark, when he saw in the distance, of course, a light shining. But perhaps I'll find a bed for the night. And he walked up. The door opened. An old woman. What do you want? Oh, a bed for the night. Can you help me? Well, we've only... There's only us three sisters here. And, um, all right, you can come in. And he came in, they gave him a little bit of food to eat. Not much, but it was better than nothing. And they showed him a bedroom at the end of the corridor. And the bed wasn't much, but it was better than nothing. But as they took him into the bedroom, he said, here's your bed. And here's the chest. Don't you touch it. and he got into bed and he tried to go to sleep but if you know there's a chest like that you mustn't touch it's not very easy to go to sleep is it and (laughs) and he lay there and he lay there and he lay there still feeling a bit hungry because they hadn't given him much to eat Uh, but then all of a sudden he heard the footsteps Coming down the corridor, the door opening and he began to pretend to snore as he opened one eye just a little to see what was happening and he saw the first old sister sneak in. Look over at the bed.
1: He
2: saw her tip. Toe to the chest, open it and take out a little red cap which she put on her head. And he heard her say, Mixie, Maxie, take me away, off to London, straight away. To his amazement, he saw that old woman spin round and round and round on the spot, faster and faster and faster until, Yup! She went flying out the window. (gasps) He was just as amazed as you are. (laughs) But not for long because he heard. The second old woman was coming down the corridor. The second old woman opened the (laughs) Of course, over to the chest. Little red cap. Mixy Maxy, take me away, off to London straight away. Ooh! By now he knew what was going to happen. Yes, the third. Indeed, the chest was opened once more. A third little red cap. Mixy Maxy, take me away, off to London straight away. What oh, told you, sir? tale of mathematics, did I not? And he could count to three.
1: <laughs>
2: so he jumped out of bed and he went and he opened the ca- and of course there was a fourth little red cap on to his head. Mixie Maxie take me away off to London straight away. He felt himself spinning and spinning and spinning. Zoom. And he found himself flying through the night. Over the oak trees, over the towns, over the fields of England until he came down in the middle of London. Oh, he'd never been there before, but oh, it was as good as he's heard about. Oh, there's a great big window lit up with candles and lamps and people inside eating and drinking. He saw. three old women sitting there the table they were sitting at was full of the finest-looking food Mm, he could already smell it coming through and the the, the drink they had there oh just Ha! you found your way here then in you He pulled that cap off his head and he stuffed it into his back pocket. In you come, sit down, since you're here. You may as well eat and drink. Well, he didn't have to be told twice. And he sat down and he ate and he drank. And he ate some more and he drank some more. And then at the end, he drank a little bit more. And so it was, he didn't really notice the first old woman step up and out into the street, put the little red cap on her head, Mixie Maxie, take me away, away from London, straight away, and off she went. But he was still drinking and drinking when the second old woman, and of course you know what the third old woman did. And then you know what the landlord did. (laughs) Well, they said you'd be paying me! Me? Uh, 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 I haven't got any money. Oh, eat and drink for nothing. That's the idea, is it? Well, we'll soon see about that. And the shipwright. Before he could say a word, his hands were tied together, and they dragged him off to the judge. Now, in those days, if you pulled a trick like that, you could, you know, pay for it with your life. And so it was. The judge, he spoke his word. He had a little black cap on his head when he sentenced Jack to be hanged by the neck the next morning. <gasps> Poor Jack. He was dragged out of the prison he was taken off to the gallows you know the gallows there to the where they hang them all oh, he looked up there and the rope was coming down and the rope was put round his neck when the hangman said as hangmen traditionally do <laughs> do you have a last wish well perhaps yes i've i've always worn all the way through my life my little red cap and I, I, I do reckon I'd, I'd be able to die just that much easier if I had it on my head but it's, it's in my back pocket and I can't get it. Could you get down and put it on my head? Well, the hangman said I reckon I could do that. And he did. And there was the shipwright. Although his hands were tied together with the cap on his head, he said those words. Mixie, Maxie, Take me away, away from London, straight away! And he was spinning and spinning and spinning. He felt the rope pull against his neck. He heard the gallows crack. And it, it, flying through the air, the rope and the bit of gallows trailing behind him as he went over the fields, over the towns, over the forest, and a bang! Down in the middle of his own shipyard, where all the ships, Stuff was waiting there for him to finish the ship for the king. As he sat there, he looked at the other end of the rope and there was the bit of the gallows, exactly the right angle for the knee. A tale of geometry.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. I hope you enjoyed Catherine's story and we hope to bring you more of her work in the future. Show the love, find Richard and Catherine's stories online and tell Richard you heard him on the podcast and now want to hear him tell more tales. We are still in strange times for performing artists, but the opportunities to connect with the magic of live virtual storytelling are abundant. Go to your favorite tellers websites from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home do you know that you can connect with the podcast and see the fairy tale sponsor ads on facebook or instagram at story story podcast or you can connect with me at simon m brooks on instagram also check out hashtag in the woods with mo and on facebook and on my website at simon brooks storyteller diamond scree yep that's me while you're there, let us know your favourite story or a favourite story of your childhood. Who knows, maybe you will hear them here soon. Well, my hair is a mess, and so I'm off to Rapunzel's Hair Salon to get a cut. What are you up to for the rest of the day or the evening? The inspiration for the fairy tale sponsor came from Rachel Ann Harding. The inspiration for the true fairy tale came from, you guessed it, another recent walk in the woods with Mo. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or write a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. All that costs you is a little bit of time, and we really appreciate it. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after.
0: Mary-Kate opened up the door and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch
1: the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away.
0: If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops. Castle glittering in the sunlight, and if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.
1: Show the love, find Richard and Catherine's stories online, and tell Richard that you heard him on the podcast and now you want to hear him. Side, gi- giving off a perfect. Ah! Oh. It grew darker still. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> All right.